Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Coming up, straight off a flight from JFK, Lav and I talk Big Bryson and how what he did at Wingfoot could change the game. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast brought to you by the new P770 from TaylorMade. Why practice the draw? If you got a fade, you have to hit high, why master the stinger? Because the key to better golf is having options you can count on. That's why TaylorMade took everything they learned from making P790, the forged face, the speed foam, and all its DNA, put it into something smaller package. Introducing P770, let the sibling robbery begin. Available at your local golf retailer or TaylorMadeGolf.com. Use promo code GOLFCHANNEL for free two-day shipping on any order. Before we get started live, I want to take a humble victory lap here and point out that months ago, months, I tabbed Bryson DeChampeau as a revolutionary changer to the game. There were some caveats I put on that, and we're going to get into it, but I want to know, are you going to keep disparaging my comments? Are you finally on board? Are you on the Bryson bandwagon? Well, if you're, so, so if you're now the, the new conductor of the, of the Bryson bandwagon, why did you say last week that Bryson DeChambeau, and we, I think we, recorded on Wednesday and Bryson had had his news conference a day earlier and Bryson kind of raised some eyebrows when he said he's just going to wail away on driver all over wing foot and and hit it into the five inch rough and it didn't matter because he was just gonna be able to muscle it out onto the front of the green or, or get it pin high whatever he was planning to do and you I believe you tabbed him to miss the cut at the I U.S. Did. Open I, I believe said there was some caveats. that he was I going to be yes. one of the biggest disappointments of the week. Do you care to revisit that now? Because Bryson, as he's done basically his entire career, uh, won that U.S. Open championship basically just to prove you wrong. Because you're a detractor, because you're a skeptic, because you're a non-believer, and Bryson proved you wrong. If, if, if Simon is paying attention right now, which he's probably not, I like to re-rack the sound again from months ago when I said that he was going to change the game, that he was going to fundamentally change the game. And that's exactly what happened. And I said this, as I just pointed out, with caveats. And I think I was not alone in the golf world. I'm hardly standing on a hill by myself on this one, simply because even on Sunday, even after he had accomplished what he had accomplished with a six-stroke victory, hitting just 41% of his fairways, even after all that, Rory McIlroy looked me right in the face and said, it's not supposed to be like this. We all knew it wasn't supposed to be like this at Wingfoot. For him to do it at Detroit Golf Club, for him to do it at TPC Twin Cities, for him to do it at a normal tour event, that was anticipated. That was the mo- motivation 
behind my comment that I thought he could revolutionize the game, getting bigger, stronger, faster, just taking it to the next level. I never thought it could happen. Not at Wingfoot, not where it was supposed to matter, not where it was difficult. And there was some sort of premium on driving accuracy. And we're going to get into setup and what that all means and the nuances of exactly what makes a difficult driving golf course versus what makes an impossible driving golf course. However, I did not anticipate this. I will completely own it. I, I thought this was going to be a game changer at 90% of the tour events. I didn't think he could do it at majors, and I was wrong. Did you learn nothing from TPC Harding Park, where Bryson DeChambeau was tied for the lead on the final round? No, you of can't the compare those two. Don't, don't compare those two. That's an Why? embarrassing comparison because they're not the no, same it's not. thing. Because oh, those, they, those, well, you that was a there, long so golf course. You don't course. know. I'm going to go ahead and that, drop that one that on was you. A yes, long was, golf, long that was a long matter golf course. Here. With no. thick rough, with cool, no, damp laugh. conditions. No, that that's got that actually favors that that leads into what he does best. That gives him the advantage. What we're talking about here is a golf course that demands some sort of accuracy off the tee. You can't compare TPC Harding Park to Wingfoot. All right, let's, let's put didn't. this out there to the Twitterverse. I'm going to tweet it right now and ask everyone, how is it that? These two golf courses couldn't defend them because I can guarantee you the response is going to be don't put those two golf courses in the same neighborhood. And I like Harding Park. I think it is a very enjoyable golf course to play. But when we're talking about Blue Bloods, when we're talking about true major championship venues, don't put those two in the same car because they're not in the same club. Except those two fairways at both golf courses were very difficult to hit. Now we can, since you just opened this, opened this box, we can talk about the setup that the USGA had for wing big because because it was flawed because it was flawed you don't oh. have the field average of 38 percent of paying the fairways Bryson DeChambeau for all the talk about how wayward he was and he was just hitting driver with reckless abandon he was better than the field average he averaged 41 percent he was top three in strokes gained off the tee he was not penalized for missing that is a flawed setup when your fairways are so firm and they're so narrow and they bend at such a degree that it's impossible to hit, you, you are negating the advantage that straight hitters have. And so when you have that scenario, of course you should hit it far. Because of course you should leave yourself then with the shortest club possible. Bryson just happened to figure this out, obviously before you did, since you came around six days later. But, he, but more, more importantly, he figured it out days before his competitors. Because when Bryce was saying that I'm going to hit driver everywhere, that was on Tuesday. And it wasn't until Saturday is when people started to say, okay, I think, I think Bryce was onto something. That is, that is significant period of time in which he enjoyed a competitive advantage and staked his claim to winning this U.S. Open. I would have bet money that you would have gone full golf nerd on that diatribe and, and said something to the effect of the re reverse camber of the fairways. But you did not. So I give you credit on that front. I, I will – say this, I disagree with you wholeheartedly about the setup, but there is one thing that I will acknowledge, and I think all the players in the field will acknowledge this. Brian Harmon told me this yesterday when he came off the golf course, that there are six fairways on that golf course, particularly yesterday with the winds and the more challenging conditions and everything that goes into it that simply couldn't be hit, whether if you were Brian Harmon or Bryson DeChambeau. Or and Zach that's Johnson. a problem. And it, it is a problem. I don't know if that's the USGA's problem uh, is what I'm going to get to here that talking with the people who set the golf course up, I'm not qu quite sure what they expected. And I get what Bryson's saying, and I'm fascinated by what him and Chris Como and Mark Brody conjured up in their lab that, look, there's a, there's a tipping point. Either give us no fairway or give us huge fairways. 
because both those things are going to give be an advantage for me. Yeah, it's got to be something have, in between. You can't have Aaron Hills because Brooks just hit it 350. Yes, and, that doesn't and, work. And then, and then Big Bomber's going to have a huge advantage, and you can't have him too narrow because then no one hits him, and then you still are uh, incentivized to hit it as far as possible. You have to find a happy medium. To me, that was Shinnecock. And what did and you I have don't there? know that to be true, but, Brooks, but last year we were complaining about Shinnecock. But last year we were complaining about Shinnecock. So I don't know if that's right either. So I, I disagree on that front. And I don't know how you find that perfect tipping point. I mean, look, again, I go back to Wingfoot was supposed to be the solution to the problem, right? Wingfoot was going to cure everything that was wrong with golf. It was going to silence all those people that said the golf ball goes too far. It was going to, to prove that Bryson's experiment doesn't work on every venue. And it didn't. And I go back to, I don't think this is a setup problem. I, and again, I appreciate what, what Como and the rest of the mad scientists came up with. And you can certainly look and go, look, they were right. Like they figured it out. But I don't see this as a golf course setup issue. This is just a style of play issue. I mean, as Roy pointed out, in, in the 14 years since we last played, since Jeff Ogilvie, you know, saved that tournament, I, I think the game has changed so dramatically, so dramatically, that we have gotten to the point now where – we can blame the USGA, I think, because they're an easy target. But on this particular case, and, and I'm not one to, to, to back up the USGA or be an apologist, I just don't know what they could have done. We, I guess you, we could have, they, they could have cut some fairways wider, but I don't know how you can figure out the science of that. If you can tell me exactly what to do with all 18 holes to make it perfect, then okay, you're a better man than I am. No, look, I think, I think our definition of what makes a good U.S. Open player has to change because the, the the game has changed in innumerable ways over the over the past decade. Look at the last four or five winners of the, the U.S. Open. In, in 2016, he had Dustin Johnson. Then it was Brooks Kepka. Then it was Brooks Kepka. Then it was Gary Woodland. Then it was Brooks. Then it was Bryson DeChambeau. What do all those players have in common? Well, They're they hit big. it high and they hit it long. Exactly. That is, it's the gone of the days where it's going to be Brendan Todd or, or a Webb Simpson or, <gasps> or a Corey Pavin. I mean, it's, do that to it's sad Todd? because it's because those, those players, the only safe haven for them now is, is a colonial and a, and a Harbor town and a, and a travelers and, and golf courses like that. I mean, these big classic golf courses length is look length is obviously an advantage everywhere but it's particularly on on those styles styles of golf courses where the greens are so difficult and so firm that it's a huge advantage to come in with the shortest possible club which is exactly what what bryson did but i don't want to i don't want to just reduce what bryson did last week to the fact that he was just hitting it so much further than everyone else that that wasn't necessarily true i mean he was seventh in the field in in driving true at all i mean forget about not necessarily it's not true at all but the thoroughness of his victory was the fact that he was top three strokes gained off the tee, approaching the green and around the green. He, he's historically been a, a terrible pitcher and, and chipper of the golf ball. And last week on the greens that he did miss, he was terrific. And he was also a top 20 putter. So, I mean, to just kind of denigrate Bryson as this one trick pony, who's, who's just hammering 350 yard drives. I, I, I feel is, is, is shorting him. I mean, he's, He's been a terrific player even before this transformation. Now I think he's just even more dangerous. Well, and to your point, and, and look, I mean, I, I think you're right. Everyone was going to fixate on the experiment and how far he hit the ball and, and how he sort of redefined what we're going to look at at major venues and major champions going forward. But he gained 4.49 strokes putting for the week. He gained 5.3 strokes off the he's tee. The top 10, he's a top 10 putter on the yeah. PGA Tour. 
I mean, it, he, he came by this honestly. This was not just a bomber show. I mean, I, I think, and it goes back to, and you're the one that pointed this out to me last night, that I had to go back and look for myself to look how bad he was. Bad's probably not the right word. He was very much a middle-of-the-pack putter earlier in his career on the PGA Tour. He was a bad he was, putter. He, I, I don't want to go that far. I mean, I think statistically he, it's better to call him middle-of-the-pack. However, he has drugged himself from Bryson, that point. Bryson himself – so that he was last on tour when he first came out. He was using side saddle. I mean, can you oh, think of a, a, a greater sign of desperation than putting side saddle? This was just a couple of years ago. Everything he did was a sign of desperation. And the fact he figured it out, I think, should, should give a, a ray of hope to all of us. Because if you have the energy and you have the knowledge and, and you have the resources to sit down and figure it out, man, he, he sat down and figured it out. Uh, one of the things that we talked about before we got on that plane this morning is, is – where does he go from here? I mean, obviously Augusta is the obvious next one. And it was funny talking to players last night and asking that next obvious question about going in to Augusta. I mean, is he going away the favorite, by the way, I just got some, some odds, which makes him the co-favorite with Rory McIlroy at the moment, but there was a, which I would, I would agree with. Yeah, no, I like that. But I mean, that's all about wise guys and betting numbers. I don't know if it actually has any, any sort of basis in who I think can really win it normally in this particular case, it probably does. But I think there is, there is a concern now. There, there, there was a serious fear in Roy McIlroy's voice when he was asked about this yesterday, simply because you don't have to be straight out of Augusta. We've seen it time and time again. Now, the trees will create an issue there, and the ball's running out the fairway, and, and there will be issues for him to worry about. But I don't know where the teeth of that golf course is when you look at this game. When you, trans, when you translate this game from Wingfoot to Augusta National in, what, a month and a half? I don't know how suddenly that doesn't work and it worked so well last week. I, I just don't see it. I, I can't, I, that doesn't unfold in my mind very well. So, so I'm, I'm actually going to do this, this story on Wednesday for golf where I'm going to kind of explore the, the fun possibilities of what Bryson could have. And so, uh, so I, this morning I was actually thinking on the plane, I was thinking about what could actually happen when, when Bryson unleashes this new game. And so if, if we walk through it on one, let's just walk through Augusta National. On one, those bunkers just aren't even going to come into play. He's going to leave himself a wedge there. On two, the par five, he's very likely bombing it down the hill and leaving himself a short iron into the par five. Three was going to be drivable anyway, probably now with a three wood. On five, all those bunkers on the left, see ya. Eight was a par five. It was going to be reachable for him. Now he's just further up on the on the um, upslope and leaving himself a, probably a mid iron in there. Nine. This is where I think you can start to have some fun. Nine. I think because it's, I think it's hard to even wrap your mind around it when, when you see it on TV, but in person, it's hard to overstate just how high Bryson is hitting the ball. And it is a big, high sweeping draw that works very, very well at Augusta National. So on nine, I think he can go over the trees and lead it and hit it all the way down under the, under the walking path. On 10, same thing. I think he might even have to hit three wood because of the bunker there, what, 120 yards short of the green. Well, if he's not, if 11, he's not careful there, the, he'll run out of fairway on the right real right. quick. So on, 11, on 11, I think he's going over the trees on the right. I really do. I think, I think that's the play for him there, just like it is on 13. Hit it either over those trees with a big draw or even blast it into the 14th hole and leave yourself that type of angle. 15, you're bringing in the trees on the left. In 17 and 18, 18 in particular, I think he's bombing it over the bunkers on the left and leaving himself 
another angle that hasn't been explored ever, at least not intentionally. So, I mean, that is the story now heading into the Masters, is how is he going to take this golf course on? Because he's going to do things that we've never seen at Augusta National, at least not since it was Tiger-proofed in the early 2000s. Oh, God, I didn't know you were going to go hole by hole. I feel like I should deserve a caddy fee now for all that. But it well played. You didn't I'll even contribute. I, I did not. I just sat and listened, as most friends do when the other friend's talking about what he did in this round. So now, please give me a caddy fee. I had to suffer. How about, how, about a, how about a four caddy fee? Sure. I, I will say this, to your point, and, and it's fascinating. Hey, you kept the bottle. I thought you weren't keeping the bottle. Sorry. I kept I, the bottle. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. They gave us bottles, water bottles last week at the U.S. Open. And as we were leaving the media center last night, he, he humped, harumphed, I'm not keeping this, and threw it out of his bag. And apparently he went back and got it. So, uh, it's, like, it's, like I, a, it's like a knockoff. It's like a knockoff yet. I, I just I couldn't resist. It's got a nice logo on it. It's very nice. To your point, though, and it is stark how high he hits the ball. On Saturday when he was paired with Patrick Reed, it was like they weren't playing the same game. Patrick Reed's drives barely got above the tree line. Bryson's drives soared double overhead the tree line. I mean, it's like the trees weren't even there. It is an amazing thing to watch. Now, that being said, there were times on Sunday when your boy Matthew Wolf, who is not short by any stretch of the imagination, but does hit it much, much lower than Bryson, he would not hit a knuckleball. He would hit a knuckleball and it would run forever, whereas Bryson seems to hit and stop. Yeah, it's. I mean, Bryson's ball is, is much spinnier. Look, I don't. I don't necessarily think Bryson is the longest player on the PGA Tour. He might have led the PGA Tour in driving distance, but, you know, Cam Champ is, is going 75%. Tony Finau is taking the, his golf club back, you know, to his shoulder and, and not any longer than that. Matthew Wolf is, is pound for pound, arguably one of the longest players on the PGA Tour. To me, it's the height that Bryson is hitting it is, is going to give him such an advantage because – the, the carry distance is so great that he's taking different angles than the other guys who, you know, when you finally tally it up, it is going to be 350, but it's, it's a different route to get there. That's why I think how Bryson can attack Augusta National can be so fun because the, the angles and the, the thought processes and the strategy is just going to be so different. And, and I will say this, and it, it will be fascinating, and I, I think it caught, he caught a lot of people off guard, a lot of his contemporaries off guard I, I haven't seen players they were shook there were some wide eyes and some yeah I mean 40 percent of his fairways and to do what he did there like you just don't expect that to happen uh, that being said I think there was an element to Augusta that he still has to learn a little bit and look he put himself in a contention there before I think he put himself in a contention the first time he played there that right before he turned pro as an, as an amateur yeah if I remember correctly but I do think there are still some elements some nuances to Augusta that still need to be answered. Not saying he can't. Again, I, I'm getting out of that business. I, like, I'm done doubting Bryson. The one thing that I did find fascinating last night, and it's been almost a year, almost a year, since he left Vegas and, and promised the world, I'll be different when I come back. I'll be bigger. I'll be faster. I'll be stronger. Two things that he said last night I was fascinated about. 48-inch driver he's going to tinker with for whatever that's going to do. Obviously, hit the ball further. Ten more pounds of weight he wants to pack on. If we'd have had this conversation last year in Vegas, we probably would have laughed it off and thought Bryson's being Bryson. I don't know that I can wrap my mind around where we might be a year from now if he is able to tame a 48-inch driver and pack another 10 pounds on that body. So, and, and just to be clear, 48 inches is the longest allowed under the, under the rules of golf. It's what all the long drivers who we see every summer bashing away in Reno or Oklahoma or, whatever, or wherever they are hitting it 400 yards – 
that's that's the driver that they're using, and that's what Bryson would like to put in PGA Tour competition. The reason he wants to is because he has this this holy grail of of reaching 200 mile per hour ball speed consistently. When you get to that point, the distances you're going to the distances you're going to reach, the heights you're going to hit it, and the speed you're going to create, it it basically makes you unstoppable. That's to him to him that's the that's the holy grail. That's that's what he's trying to achieve. And it, it seems like going to a 48-inch driver is the only way he's going to get there. Um, you know, he can put on 10 more pounds. I'm not even sure you'd notice at this point. He's 230, 235. He can ramp up his, his swing speed as much as you want. Um, but if you're, if you're still carrying around 230 to 240 pounds, there's, I mean, there's a point of, of, of no return there for, for the kind of speed that you're going to create. I'd be shocked if we see the 48 inch driver in 2020, that seems to me like a, an experiment that you, that you'd try out in early 2021 um, to risk it for a major championship, especially when you have, you know, two masters tournaments within the, the course of five months. I think that's a, that's an enormous risk when, when clearly what he's doing right now is working. He did not uh, put that not, governor on last night when we asked him though, that that governor was not placed on there that, Oh, I'm going to wait until after the masters. That was not set. It was, well, I want to, transition to a 48 inch driver so i don't think we should be surprised if he rolls up and he's got a 48 inch driver in his bag look and he's he's gonna put in the work he's gonna try and figure it out the best he can um but to me i would i'd try and ride this out as long as you can because because what he's doing he's been he's already won a golf tournament he's already won a major he already contended in another he contended in countless other pga tour events this summer what he has working is 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 tremendous and I think what will dictate his success at the Masters isn't necessarily how far he's hitting it. It's going to be his wedge play. He admitted that his wedge play needs to get tighter. It needed to be tighter than it was at Wingfoot, and he, and he got away with it largely because of some good putting and some good short game around the greens. But he, he's going to need to be more precise than he was at Wingfoot, and I think he knows that. Uh, he does. In his defense, and not that he needs any defending, although his wedge play from you know six-inch rough, I don't know how much he was really – I, I think maybe his expectations might be a little bit off. I mean, he's, he's looking for spin from that, and that's a little bit of, of nonsense. And I, I was fascinated by the idea, and this is a being a fly on the wall scenario, when talking with Chris Como last night and sort of asked him, when do you think this clicked? And look, Chris is, you know, he kind of alluded to the idea that this started long before he left Vegas last year and said he was going to reinvent. He said, this is a conversation that's been going on really for years, but they just embarked on it essentially last offseason. And he sort of gave me this scene, though, of being in Chris Como's apartment in, in Dallas, which he has transitioned into like this swing laboratory with, with all the gadgets and the gadgets and just spending hours and hours in there. And he felt like both of them felt like, OK, he's got it. We've got this. But there was always this sort of cloud hanging over that Well, you don't play golf in the living room. I mean, I think both of them realized it. And when you finally to, to transition from that. And it's, it's been relatively quickly. It feels like, you know, since we did the restart in June, it's been a, a long time. But he, this has really been quick that he has taken this game, this new game, this, this transition game, this transcendent game, and brought it out into the heat of competition, the highest competition, as you pointed out, TPC Harding Park and now Wingfoot. And he, it has worked. I don't know I can think of anyone that has made that kind of transition that quickly. No. And, I mean, if you want to look for the impetus for the change – Bryson last week for the very first time admitted that it was his somewhat arch nemesis Brooks Kepka is the one who inspired him 
for this change. When Brooks Kepka arrived at, at Beth Page Black for the PGA Championship, yes, he was hitting at 330, oftentimes down the middle, but when he would miss and he was in the thick rough, he still had the strength to muscle it out and get back in position. It wasn't Brooks necessarily his distance because there's lots of players on the PGA Tour who can hit at 330. It was Brooks's strength to get it out of the rough and still give himself birdie opportunities. That was kind of the light bulb moment for Bryson where, sure, I'm going to hit it a very long ways, but if I'm out of position, if I'm in the rough, I need to still be able to give myself chances to score. That's what he's done. If he gains 10 pounds, I'm not sure you're necessarily going to notice it. Um, but again, it's the completeness of Bryson's game is the reason why he has ascended to number five in the world. It's not Agreed. just the distance. It is the completeness of his game. He's been a great player before. He'll continue to be a great player. And I think now just the, the next evolution of that is, is figuring out what to do with the wedges. You, you don't want to major by six strokes being a one-dimensional player. I mean, I think that that's self-evident. But once you look at the stats and you break them down, it's obvious that he is talented and worked very, very hard in really every aspect of his game to get to where he is right now. And I am very reluctant to turn this chapter and to go down this rabbit hole because it's one – you say I don't check Twitter, and unfortunately I spent some time on Twitter this morning because I was kind of curious. I'll go back to my comments. I don't think this was a golf course setup issue. But you can make an argument. I'm not making that argument. But you can make an argument that this is a golf ball, golf club equipment issue. Because, look, the other things that factor into this, we can't stop players, Bryson, any of them, from going to the gym. We can't stop them, stop them from getting better, more technical training from their coaches. We can't stop them from all of the gadgets that they have, the flight scopes, the track mans, everything that goes into it. The only thing that golf can control is the equipment. And I just don't know if we're even at that point now where it would even make a difference. Because my argument is, even if you dialed it back, whatever, whichever you want to dial back, whether it be the driver, the golf ball, whatever the case may be, Bryson is still going to be the longest guy out there. He is still going to be the guy that's doing things with the golf ball that no one else can do. So why? I mean, I thought it was a great quote from Claude Harmon that I put in my story last night, Claude Harmon III. And I sort of asked him, what do you think about what you're seeing on the golf course. And keep in mind, the man he's named after, Claude Harmon, was the longtime pro at Wingfoot. Holds the course record on both courses, 61, East Course and the West Course, and is, is just revered in the teaching community. And Claude did not blink, and he said, my grandfather always said that if we're down the road 30 years and players aren't hitting it faster, I mean, players aren't swinging faster and hitting it farther, and they aren't better athletes, then we're not doing our job as instructors. It seems like golf is the only sport that we want to sort of shoehorn it and say that, yes, we want to go to this line and no further. Every other aspect of human life moves forward. In this particular case, I don't know how you stop this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the, the distance debate is a, is a multidimensional thing. It's not as simple as just rolling back the ball or, or decreasing the, the club head size. I mean, you, look at, you can look at agronomics. You can look at training. You can look at – track man you can look at coaching i mean it's it's a multi protein shakes we can't issue. ban protein shakes yeah you can't you can't just say you all of a sudden you have to just start eating hamburgers and not have or gain protein shakes um and so look i think i think the equipment is probably the easiest but i i think at this point bryson's still gonna be the longest if you if you make him change driver and change golf ball he's still gonna figure out a way to get it done the it's just a natural evolution of sport i mean if if the amount of skill and the amount of talent and the scores weren't getting lower, 
wouldn't that be more surprising to you than the fact that they are? Oh, the, same, the same way that NBA players can jump higher and NFL quarterbacks can throw it further and, and running backs are faster. And I mean, this is just how it works. This is how it works in sport. You should be every, evolving with it. Every athlete is bigger, stronger, faster in every other sport. And it's only going to, I mean, look, if it took Bryson DeChambeau to make everyone realize that someone is always going to push the limits and he is clearly pushing the limits. That doesn't mean he's going to be the only one. Now, I wrote last night, and I'm not quite sure. We're not going to see some sort of transition in the junior ranks. That everyone is going to transition to single-length clubs, and they're going to start eating half cows every day and trying to digest 5,000 calories. I, I don't see that, but I do see more and more of the idea of, okay, if he's going to push the limits, I'm going to continue to push the limits. And it's just yes. going to be an incremental effect. I mean, bomb and gouge is not a new concept. I, this, is, this wasn't bob and gouge. This was bomb and wedge. There, there was a control to this that goes beyond. I mean, I, in my mind, VJ Singh invented bomb, bomb and gouge, and this wasn't the same game. Not in my mind. But I, I, think, I think the issue is that where the game is headed is not necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing. You know, Bryson doesn't <laughs> swing it beautifully. Basically, all that's missing is just a, a tennis grunt for when he's, like, hitting a serve. Like, that's the only thing that's missing. It's just – He's just a gorilla swinging a club. Like it's, it's, it's hard to watch. It's, it's ungainly at times. His putting motion is Simon mark that for the tweet rigid. that we send out. He's just a gorilla <laughs> swinging a club. But look, it's, I, I think, I think that's where the issue is, is that the game seems one dimensional. Some of the artistry is lost. If, if it's just, brawn and power and but it's muscle. not. We just got through going through all the stats. He is not a one dimensional player. Not now. I understand that, but look at the best players over the past decade. Look over the past two decades. They're the biggest hitters. Dustin Johnson is an absolute freak of nature for whom accuracy has never been important. That's, I mean, that's where the game is headed. Long and straight, long and straight, hitting it long and straight is the most difficult thing to do in the game. And that's never been less of a priority than it is right now. I think that's what the issue is. Straight. I see what you're saying about straight. Absolutely. But I will, I'll counter and say, you said last two or three decades, I think the longest player has always had the advantage. Jack was the longest player of back course. in the day. He's going he's he's to always continue to have an advantage. Always been the case. I, I did a story a few years ago where I was trying to, it was based on the money ball concept in baseball. I was trying to come up, uh, what is golf's magic stat? You know, what is on-base percentage when it comes to golf? And I, I asked a lot of people uh, what they thought, but the one person that stood out to me was our Frank Noblo, who was working with Golf Channel at the time and he said it, he gave me a book that was written in the 1800s and it points out that the longest player even back in the 1800s everyone even knew then that they're going to be the best player that the closer you are to the hole the easier it is to score that that's not a secret i think what bryson has done and dj before him and tiger and we can keep walking ourselves backwards all sort of set the stage for this i i totally agree with you and i think that's that's why the players these days who who aren't the big boppers there's a certain appeal to them right like it's it may not be the most exciting but you have to tip your cap to guys like webb simpson who has gotten longer over the past couple years he has added 10 15 yards of distance or brendan todd or patrick reed or terrell hatton i mean these are guys and matt fitzpatrick these are guys who are doing it doing it differently and still succeeding on a tour that is very much going in the direction of how far can you hit it? And, and I mean, Matt, Matt will finish second at the U S open. He very much embodies 
what the modern game is going to turn into. I'm not sure that an equipment rollback necessarily changes things all that much. I think it just potentially keeps classic courses from getting absolutely neutered. And I think it keeps maybe a couple more wedges uh, out of their hands for, for approach shots, but, but, but that's it. Okay. I, I want to transition before we get out of here to one last thing. And, and you touched on, these were your two busi- biggest disappointments last week. That's who you predicted. It was Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. They both nailed it. The, nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, nailed it. Again, I'll go back to the idea that you had to have high expectations. Uh, Phil is Phil. Uh, I wrote once again, that his U S open career has come to an end. I think that's probably the third time I'd written that column. I just don't see him being just killing him off again and again, just just killing him off again and again. Tiger Woods though, was fascinating to me because he, I did not have very high expectations that he could win, but I certainly thought he could make the cut. And it turns out that he wasn't even remotely ready to do that. He didn't drive the ball. Well, he didn't putt the ball. Well, and that's a bad combination. And that is, and that's different than what he's done over the past couple months. Nothing. No, no, there, there was that's no ex- reason. That's exactly for me to think what that. he's done. But he has proven in his career that these are the ones that matter. All right, so maybe he didn't show up. That you know, pick your spot wherever you want to say a world golf. When's the last time Tiger contended in a U.S. Open? Oh, he, he it's been a while, and that twenty twelve to, to the point twenty twelve. He was in the mix to thirty six holes, balloon on the weekend. Hasn't been seen since. And this probably isn't going to be the one. I think I, I gave you a sideways glance at one point, maybe on Thursday after watching him hack out a, a particularly nasty lie. And I said, if he ever wants to think about winning another Masters, he may want to consider not playing this championship again. Because he could snap <laughs> in half if he's got to hit out a rough like that for the next five years. I mean, you haven't seen anything over these past couple starts, I'm, I'm assuming, that makes you think he's even remotely close to contending at the Masters, correct? No, but it is the Masters. He is a defending champion. I mean, look, I'm whatever his odds are, I didn't go down the list. I, I think I, you have to again, and I don't know. I would dismiss. I think Bill he's like I think he's like twenty two to one right now, which is yeah, just and I, people wanting wanting to light money on fire. I wouldn't. Yeah, well, it's like the guy who bet forty five thousand on Phil. Just just put it in a pile, lot it on fire. You, you, that's what you're doing to yourself. Just donate to charity if you got that much disposable do, income. Do something nice for people. But if you look at, I just. I'm not going to dismiss him at Augusta because we see it every single year. Someone shows up at Augusta. This one's obviously going to be different in November, but every single year you have your Fred couples or your Bernard Langer who show up. Now the one part. And You're again, putting put, Tiger in the, in the, in the Fred couples, Bernard no, Langer. No, no I was already? saying that. No, not absolutely not. But he, there is an institutional knowledge that he has, that he is going to carry forward that makes him impossible to dismiss at Augusta national. Now going forward, if we were going back to Wingfoot next week, I'd be like, yeah, that's this is probably not going to happen. I don't have very high expectations. Now, the one caveat I will say about Augusta, when he was leaving on Friday, I specifically asked him kind of what, what's next. And the only thing I could get out of him is I need rest. I need to step away from the game. I need to put the clubs away. He hadn't played for two weeks before, the, before Wingfoot. He didn't and he play. Barely played, he barely played before that. And I'm not going to tell someone how to do their job, but he just seems tired right now. Which is just unfathomable to me because he took five months off and then he showed up a Memorial. Then he didn't play a WGC event, which everyone would have thought would have been a logical warm-up for the PGA Championship the following week. Then he played the first two events of the, of the FedEx Cup playoffs and played miserably. And then he showed up at the U.S. Open on a golf course that he was never going to win it anyway. But, but he was predictably inaccurate off the tee and not as sharp with his irons and continued to, to putt poorly. Um, 
and so when you asked him what his upcoming schedule is, and he says that he's going to shut it down, and, and he's going to play Zozo in Sherwood in a, in a month, that's his only tune-up before the Masters. I mean, at, at some point, you just got to put the tee in the ground and just see where you are. These little but, but we know this is the new normal. But, but I, I see what you're saying. But this is the new normal. He's not playing 15 events. I mean, I, 10, I, 11, 12 events. That, I get that's it. going to be the and I, and I think And I think last year's Zozo tricked him into thinking that this was, that this was going to work, that, that he doesn't – that he can take a couple months off, show up, and he can – you know, if, if everything's firing at, at home, that he can still go in and contend. It, it's just not going to happen. That, that was lightning in a bottle. That was lightning in a bottle. Everything came together the same way that everything came together on the weekend at the Masters in 2019. There is a reason why Tiger talks about how all the pieces just fell into place. It's almost like he talks about it in, in surprise, that, that even he can't believe that things fell his way, whether he was making the putts when he needed to or that he got the breaks with everyone hitting in, into the water on 12 or the fact that Brooks missed those 10-footers on 17 and 18 when he, when he could have put some more heat on Tiger down the stretch. Even Tiger seems surprised that he was able to win the Masters in 2019. And I think if you asked him, I think he was – shocked that he won the Zozo. And I think that's, that's tricked him into a false sense of security of thinking he can take time off and show up ready to play. Well, to your point, yes, I think there was a part of him. I don't know that the Masters is the one that surprised him. I think Zozo surprised him simply because there were absolutely no expectations. Him getting on a plane flying to the other side of the globe. We have learned that this is a very, very clear step in the process. He, he does not come off that plane playing his best golf. He just can't. I mean, this is just his back can't physically endure being in, on a plane for 16 hours or whatever the case may be. Augusta was different in my mind that, you know, he has talked about in the weeks before he started to move the ball a little bit, right to left. He started getting a little pop back. He started getting, getting excited a little bit. I think he actually had expectations going into that masters. I, maybe he had expectations, but that does, that still doesn't negate the fact that, that everything went his way. Balls oh, sure. that were bound for the trees hit him and got into an opening. The guard who slid, remember, remember this guard who slid and almost took out his knee? That didn't end up being, the, the tee times were pushed up and he was able to, to, to go from one round to the other without a whole lot of debriefing. That worked his way. All the guys hitting into Race Creek, that oh, worked. Oh, that's not what you wrote. At the time you wrote that this, is, this was going to be the end because he won't be able to recover between rounds. I remember what you wrote. Well, look, clearly that took a lot out of him physically. Sure. So clearly he played the Masters not physically right, correct? Like, he was toast. He was toast the rest of the year. He ended up needing arthroscopic surgery last fall. Something happened at the Masters because he played poorly heading into Augusta, played great at Augusta National, and played poorly the rest of the year. Oh, no, no, that no. That to looking, me, that to me no. is lightning in a bottle. I think you're looking, for, you're looking for, like, one traumatic moment. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he has been – of all the things he has said about this, the one thing I find that, that rings completely true is he wakes up some mornings and it just doesn't work. And he's also been honest and said those mornings are more often than the mornings he wakes up and feels like it is going to work. And if that's the way you're going to try to compete as a professional athlete at the highest level, the odds aren't in your favor that you're going to be able to show up week in and week out. Even if you're just playing 10, 11, 12 times a year, you got to figure you're, you're probably only going to get one or two shots a year at best. Right. And so you, are you anticipating that's going to happen in November? Uh, not, uh, I'm not anticipating it, but no, I would be surprised. Again, this is the Masters. This is a little different. I mean, I think in his mind, this is what he has spent really all year, probably 
his entire season since last year in Japan thinking about trying to get ready for the Masters. Now that originally that was in April, but it, that, that schedule has been adjusted along the way. You know what he really needs? He needs time off. You know what I really need right now, Lab? A beer. No, I need time off. You need time off. That'll do it for this Golf Central podcast presented by TaylorMade. We'll see you next week. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.